Uh, okay, um, in small groups, and if you're not in small group, then I recommend it, uh, but in small groups recently, uh, we've been working through a set of DVDs which have, have really been about the subject of uh, the kind of culture within the church um, and the relationships that, uh, that we have with each other. Um, and uh, it's, it's been, I mean, my, I don't know what your small group is like. My small group is brilliant. I'll tell you why. Because people are astoundingly honest. Uh, I mean, is there such a thing as too much honesty? Maybe there is. But, uh, but, my, uh, but my small group, small group is astoundingly honest. People are really frank uh, at telling uh, and in the discussion times that we have when we've been watching these DVDs and uh, kind of, what I also love about um, our small group is that, that there's a, just a, a real passion um, to, to honor the Spirit, but to be biblical. So there's a real desire um, to, to search the Scriptures, um, to find, you know, wh- you know, what does the Bible actually say about this? To take kind of concepts maybe that we're hearing um, from other settings and to, to try and square it. Uh, with scripture and uh, with, with the expectation that God will meet us in that place uh, by his spirit and he'll reveal uh, things to us and that our understanding of his word uh, will move on. It's an amazing thing. Um, but I think what, what's the reason that Andy has been speaking on the same subject uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, and I'm going to touch on similar themes this morning, is because in the end, a DVD alone doesn't do the job. Uh, Because actually, um, there's a great proverb. Uh, Proverbs 20, 21 says this, an inheritance hastily, sorry, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And the point is this, that you can't, and you know, the the church of God is not, McDonald's. Hallelujah. It's not, it's not a franchise. You can't buy it in. You need to, it's a relationship with your Father in heaven. And you've got to work it out. You've got to work out your salvation with each other in the context of, of people who love each other in church, in the context of reading your Bible, in the context of the Spirit. Sorry, I'm adjusting this because it seemed like it was um, all of these things, um, you know, if, if, if we imagine for a moment, and I don't think many of us do, but if we imagine for a moment that we can just kind of, you know, download a few podcasts and make it happen, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because actually we're, we're walking something out here in Hope Church. We're on a journey together. We're, we're kind of, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I feel really the last kind of few years at least, have been about, you know, that, that kind of journey into God, um, you know, opening your Bible and ha- having him speak to you, you know, and, and ch- you know, expanding your world and changing your paradigm. That, that's what it's about. It's, it's about that kind of hard kind of work, uh, if I can use that expression, with God. And, and that's actually what's going to make the fruit um, in the end. That's why w- what's going to bring the growth and the change and the blessing in the end 
And so that's why we, we're taking all this time uh, to think about this issue. Jesus said that the church would be like a city set on a hill. What we're about here is we're about building a city of Hope Church that sits, that sits in the hill, is sat on the hill in Glasgow and shines out and, and, and shows a different kind of culture, a different, kind of, a different set of values to this amazing city of Glasgow. Um, because when people see that, they'll love it and uh, change will come. We're about building a different culture and we're about announcing a different kingdom and a different king. Jesus said, pray this, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is heaven where, where God's reign and rule is, is most apparent. Where, where actually what he says goes, where his values are the values of the whole place. Jesus says, pray that that, that kingdom would come as it is on heaven, on earth. That actually his values would be worked out among you. That, that as there's no sickness in heaven, there would be no sickness among you on earth. As there's no lack in heaven, there would be no lack on earth. As, as there's no infighting and as there's no um, gossiping and as there's no broken relationships in heaven, so on earth there would be none of these things. What we're looking to do is to see Jesus' kingdom come. And we're looking for nothing less than that. We're not looking to do church. We're not looking just to kind of meet, you know, because isn't that what Christians do on a Sunday morning? No, no, we're, we're about something greater. God has, has opened our eyes to a vision greater than that. And it's about transforming, nothing less than transforming the world that we live in and transforming this amazing city. And so today I want to look at a story that demonstrates some of these values, some of the values of the kingdom of God. So we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, which is in the kind of I would say about a, f a quarter to a fifth of the way through the Bible. If it's been a while since you looked at 2 Samuel. Um, okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence among your people. God, I thank you for speaking to us already this morning and for what you will speak to us in our time together that we have left. And God, I want to open my heart, Lord, to you. God, I want to pray that, that everyone here would have their hearts open to what you want to, to speak to them this morning. God, we want, to, we want to be instructed by you, Holy Spirit. We want to be led into all truth by you. And, uh, and so we do pray for your activity among us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, 2 Samuel uh, deals with King David. And uh, 
I, I'm sure great, uh, the great majority of you will know who King, King David is, but, or was, but King David was the greatest king uh, in all of Israel's history. He was the man who really nailed it uh, in many, many ways. Uh, he was, he was, had such a relationship with God and uh, such an intimacy with the Father that in fact, uh, Jesus, who came hundreds of years later, obviously, um, was known as the son of David. God himself took the name of this, ki- this man, this king, such was his uh, position before God. Such was uh, the intimacy that he had with the Father. And uh, this kind of extract uh, from his life, from his story, is kind of a bit of an insight into the way he ran things uh, in his kingdom. And uh, there are some really great clues for how we should run things uh, in our church. Uh, I want to give you uh, a bit more, though, of the lead-up to to chapter 10. Uh, In chapter 6, basically what's been happening up until chapter 6 is that David has been uh, anointed king. He knows that he's going to be king, but there is another king on the throne, King Saul, whose whose power and authority is is fading away. Uh, He's turned away from God, Saul, and, and everything that God wanted to do through Saul, um, he's kind of rejected. And, and, and even to the point where, where Saul is actually trying to kill David. And so David, for, for the first kind of few chapters of 2 Samuel, is running around in the wilderness trying to avoid being killed uh, by King Saul. And, and then there's a moment where King Saul uh, himself is killed in battle, and finally David can come all the way through to sit on the throne that God had always intended him to sit on and lead the people of Israel. In chapter 6, it's interesting because right at the beginning of this time for David, the priority for him is to bring the ark uh, back into Jerusalem, to bring the presence of God uh, back into the center of God's nation. And uh, you can see here that actually what a high value David had for the presence of God. In chapter 7, you have this extraordinary conversation between David and God, where where David's saying, you know, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. And uh, and God says, oh, well, actually, I'll stop you there. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to give you and your descendants a throne that will go on forever. I'm going to put a king on your throne that will rule forever. And of course, God was speaking about his own son, Jesus, in that conversation. Incredible covenant promises that God makes to David in chapter 7. In chapter 8, you see the outworking of, of, of the presence and the promises. An incredible victory, a military victory, kingdom expansion, you know, every battle that they go into, they're in, it's like they're invincible. You know, God is with them. His presence is with them. The promises are with them. They're absolutely untouchable. It's amazing. These parts of Scripture just appeal to the same part of my heart as films like Gladiator. You know, that kind of, come on, they're unbeatable. It's, uh, it's great stuff. Um, chapter 9. 
we see another outworking of these things in David's mercy to Mephibosheth, this kind of forgotten, a crippled guy, and kind of living in some obscure part of the kingdom. And, and David, this incredible king who's inc- amazingly kind, shows mercy on this man and lets him live in the palace and eat at his table. These are the things that David stood for. These are the things, the way that David ran uh, the, the, the nation of Israel while he was in charge. Mercy, massive expansion, the priority of the presence of God, and amazing promises that he's carrying from his relationship with God. And here we, do, here we come with that background to chapter 10, where we get an insight to what David is like. So let's read uh, chapter 10 together. We're going to read uh, 1 to 14. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, son of Nahash, as he, his father, dealt loyally with me. So David sent his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, but the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out, to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in their middle at their hips and sent them away. Sounds like the kind of leftovers of a bad stag weekend or something like that. You know, half a beard and no bottom on your trousers. Uh, When it was told, when it was told uh, to David, he sent to meet them. That's the guys who were now and now had half a beard, uh, to meet them. For the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired Syrians of Beth Rehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Macha with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men and the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Macha were, at, were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against them both in front and rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. And the rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother. And he arrayed them against the Ammonites. For he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. Uh, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. 
So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Okay, a brilliant boy's own adventure. What a great story that is. One of my favorites uh, from David's life. Okay, so what insights can we learn into the culture that David had in his camp, in his kingdom, uh, in this passage? Well, the first thing to notice is this, that David chooses loyalty above suspicion. He chooses loyalty above suspicion, even at a time of transition when things are a bit uncertain. He chooses loyalty rather than suspicion. Remember, he'd been, uh, David had been a friend of the previous Ammonite king. That king had died. His son had come to the throne. And you might think that actually maybe it would have been wiser to, you know, just let's give him a few months, see how he does. Yeah. You know, he's, he's new to this, you know. I mean, let's see if he, you know, he, he blows it in the first few months. And, and then if he's doing well, well, then we'll send our folks and we'll, you know, say, you know, good on you. You're doing well. Of course, we've been a friend all along, but, uh, you know, just wanted to give you a few hours to, a few months to get established. Uh, no, no, but David doesn't do that. David actually sends people to strengthen a guy who could be actually at his weakest point. He's grieving the death of his father, or at least he should have been. He should have been cut up. He should have been thinking, actually, I need a friend. I need somebody out there who can, who can help me. Because David chooses loyalty above suspicion. He, listen, David was the man in this part of the world at this time. He was massively successful. He was the, leading the military force in the region. He didn't need to go to anyone to pledge loyalty. In fact, it should have been the other way around. But David because of the man he was, because of the values that he held, he was the one to make the first move. He was the one to pledge the loyalty. He gave strength. Out of his own strength, he chose to give strength to those who were weak rather than to seize the moment to exploit the weakness. That was how David operated. There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Those that are, are, are weakest, those that are struggling, those that, you know, listen, things happen in life, don't they? Tough things happen. You know, his, his father had died. Things like that, things like that happen. And they make us feel weak. And actually, that's the moment. That's the moment to come alongside. That's the moment to show loyalty. That's the moment to say, actually, do you know what? I'm with you. I believe in you. What about the moment where 
or somebody tries something and it doesn't work. The moment when someone slips up, the moment when someone fails, when it looks like it's going wrong, is that the moment to back off and say, well, well, let's just uh, see how this pans out over the next few months? No. That is the time to use whatever strength you have to strengthen them. To say, even though you're at your weakest, listen, together we can be strong. Even if you can't be strong at this moment, I can be strong for you. Listen, we are the people of God. And these are the sorts of things, these are the sorts of relationships that are worthy of who we are. Loyalty, not suspicion. I love, I love Jesus and his disciples. Um, I love the loyalty that Jesus inspired in his disciples. Incre- incredible. I love that, um, that just when, when Jesus says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going away and where I'm going, you know, you can't follow. And Peter's like, wow, whatever it is, I'm coming. You know, even if I have to die, I will lay my life down for you. And then two chapters later, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than that he lays his life down for his friends. The way Jesus had lived his life, self-sacrificially, as a servant, had inspired the same response in his disciples. I mean, you got to love Peter. He he didn't really know what he was letting himself in for. And he didn't really manage to live up to what he was saying. But listen, Jesus did. Jesus did. And he, he inspired that same loyalty. Loyalty breeds loyalty. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I want to say that um, not only did uh, David choose loyalty over suspicion, but he also chose security over insecurity. There's there's an extraordinary contrast in this story between David and the Ammonite king, the new Ammonite king. David, three chapters ago, has heard God say, you're my son. You are going to, you know, I am going to establish your descendants to sit on a throne for all time. There's going to be one. In fact, I'll just read it. It's a great bit. He says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Incredible promises. Incredible promises. And David, living in the security of these promises, contrasts with the Ammonite king, new to the throne. You know, I I don't really know what I'm doing here. Uh, I don't really know the job I'm supposed to be performing. And when you're insecure, you can listen to suspicious voices. 
And that's what he does. You kind of surround yourself with people. Somebody tell me what to do. He surrounds himself with these advisors who tell him, actually, David's men aren't here to show loyalty. They're here because they're trying to pull you down. Listen, David wouldn't have fallen for that because actually he knew nobody could pull him down. Didn't matter who was spying out the land. He knew that he was secure because he was secure in the promises of his father in heaven. Whereas the Ammonite king wasn't. He was insecure. He didn't have promises. He didn't know that actually God was securing him on the throne. There's an amazing security that comes from covenant promises that God gives to David. And do you know that we can do the same for each other in the church? We can remind each other of the promises of God over our our lives. And we can also remind each other of how we feel about each other. You know, I'm with, a, a, a hand on the shoulder and a, I am with you. A squeezed upper arm. I am with you. A slap in the back. Listen, that can count for a lot when you're in a crisis. Just somebody being there and you just know they are with you. You can bring security where there's insecurity. You can bring the security of God to people who are kind of in a flap. And let's be honest, we all have a bit of a flap at times, don't we? I had one this morning. My wife, uh, my wife sent me straight. <laughs> you see, you see the, <laughs> that could mean almost anything, couldn't it? Sent me straight. Love it. Um, you see, the thing about it is, as Christians, we're, we're trying to become who we really are. That's the journey. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, he says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Great. But are we, I mean, is this what we're really trying to love one another? And he says this, For love is from God, and whoever has been born of God, and whoever loves, sorry, has been born of God and knows God, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What he's saying is this. He says, we're we're new creations. We're born of God. We're not like we used to be. We're, We're something altogether different. When we love people, I mean, we love each other. We're not just imitating God. It's not imitation, it's realization. We are realizing who we really are. We're walking in who we're really supposed to be. Because we're supposed to be born again. Born of this God of love. We're supposed to be caught up in the Godhead. Filled with the Spirit. Jesus, in, uh, in John chapter 17, when he's praying to his Father... Uh, just before the crucifixion, he says this amazing thing. He says, Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me be with me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This love that has existed between Jesus and the Father through the Spirit in that mysterious way that has existed before the foundation of the world. And Jesus is praying that we would come in on that. Jesus is, is, is praying that we would become part of that love that exists in the Godhead. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I told them who you were and who you are, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. We're not trying to stir something up. We're not trying to, you know, remember, you're in church. You've got to love people. That's the deal. That and try and sing along. That's not, <laughs> that's not what we're saying at all. We're saying that actually love has come to dwell in your heart. That you're born again. That you're born of God, this God who is love. And the most natural thing for us to do is to love. When we love each other like this, we're lining up with who we really are. We're realizing our, our, our true identities. Because you see, the thing is this. An insecure king sitting on a throne will wreck God's plans. There's two great examples of this in the Bible. One is Herod. When Jesus is born, part of the Christmas story, it's first December of Advent. Thought I'd get it in. Uh, When Jesus is born... Jesus is born, and, and, and Herod sitting on the throne, and his response is, my goodness, another king's been born. Yeah. He, he's probably going to want to displace me. Yeah. I'm probably going to lose my throne. And what he does is he, he sends people to Bethlehem to slaughter all the, the, ch- the young children in the town in the hope that he'll snuff out this child who's born to be the savior. An insecure king sitting on a throne is a dangerous thing. Or what about in the Old Testament when when the kingdom's divided and, and, and Israel divided into two and there was Israel in the north and Judah in the south and Jeroboam was, was told, God met with them. He had an encounter with God, and he said, you are going to rule over the northern kingdom. But then it came to Passover, and, uh, and all the people wanted to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice, and he didn't want to let them go because he was worried that they wouldn't come back. Even though God had told them, you're going to be in charge. You are going to be on the throne of the northern kingdom. And so he set up an idol in the north 
and you refuse to let them travel south. Insecure kings bring people into idolatry and they, they attempt to destroy the work of God. Listen, we're supposed to be princes and princesses. And our dad is the king of the universe. We've got to become really secure in that. Because listen, we want things happening in this church that we can't explain. Because we want God to be free to do things that we don't really understand and we can't really explain. And it's a bit embarrassing if you're standing up here trying to. That's the kind of thing that we want going on among us. Because listen, we want the fruit of what only God can do. So we've got to become really secure that he loves us, that he's for us, that his plans and purposes are going to be fulfilled in our lives. We need to be secure if we're going to sit on a throne. I want to say that the other thing that David chooses is is honor rather than shame. I love these, these two guys, you know, uh, you can imagine them. They'll be very important people probably in Israel. You know, it's a bit like, um, I don't know, David Cameron, you know, going, uh, going for a summit in France and returning with a, a Mohican, you know, and in his boxer shorts. You know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's somebody, people who kind of looked important, you know, these, these are the kind of, uh, the dignitaries, these are the ambassadors very important people in, in, in the kingdom of Israel. And they're sent out you know, on behalf of King David, this extraordinary privileged position, you know, carrying his authority. And they come back completely disrespected. And, and he knows that they'll be ashamed. You know, that having half your beard off in this culture, I mean, it's not, it's not like Movember. I mean, you just whip it off and everyone's grateful. <laughs> you know, this was, this, was a, this was a terrible shame. This, this was a deliberate act designed to bring shame upon God's people. And David in this moment chooses to honor. He says this, he says, wait. He knows that they would be embarrassed and ashamed to come back into the city. He says, wait remain in Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. doesn't say anything about their trousers, interestingly. <laughs> I mean, presumably they'd be able to get a new pair of trousers. Um, the beards were the main concern. Uh, <laughs> but the point is this. <laughs> the point is this. The point is this, that That, that David actually, in this, is, is pointing ahead to Jesus, really. He's pointing ahead to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, except he's much better. For us, the place that we can stay is not in Jericho, but before the Father. Jesus said this, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told would have told you that I would not have told you that, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know, some of us, you know, we're maybe out there doing things for God, and it all goes a bit horribly wrong. You know, maybe we're, we feel like we're kind of, you know, we're ambassadors. Isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians 5? You know, we're ambassadors of another kingdom. And we are out there representing Jesus himself. And we're bringing a message of love, even. But there are times where actually it's, it maybe has not been received as you'd hoped. And you can end up feeling ashamed. And you can end up feeling like you blew it or you, you messed up. And you know what? People, that will happen. That, sh- that almost should happen. Because this kind of living is risky. But actually, there is a place for us before the ba- Father where our beards, so to speak, can regrow. There is time. There's a place. There is t- God gives you time. To find him again, time to find your strength in him, time to hear his voice, that he loves you, that he's for you, that you're his precious child, that you didn't blow it, that you didn't mess up, time to find his heart, time to find your purpose and your destiny and your calling. You have a place that Jesus has provided before the Father, a place that he has made by taking your shame away. The great exchange, Jesus came to bear our shame, to hang on the cross with your shame, with my shame, with that feeling of of being out there and being alone, that feeling of, 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 of messing up, that feeling of of not getting it right. He came to get us that place before the Father. And I've completely run out of time. Listen, I wanted to do this today and it would have been better if I'd got to the second half of the story, but you know, who cares? I want to do it anyway. I, I, I just feel that there, there's some people in two categories. One, there's people who want that moment, that p- find that place again before the Father, hear their identity again be- in, before the Father, hear that he's for you and that he loves you and that you don't have to be ashamed. But there's also another type of person, and that type of person is is the one that I want to call in to this. The person who's maybe been on the fringes of, of this. 
but, but never really committed themselves. The wonderful thing about the second half of this story is you see the outworking of David's culture in the loyalty that his men have for each other and the fact that they're willing to fight the enemy back to back. The fact that they're, they're willing to admit that they might need help even. And they're willing to win a great victory for God out there. And listen, some of, some of us need to be called into that. Some of us need to be called into honest relationships that means that we can fight back to back and we can win some battles. We can kick some butt. And particularly young men, I want to call you to fight alongside me back to back. I want your trust. I want your loyalty. I want your commitment to Christ. I want your strength for when I'm weak. I want your courage for when I'm scared. I want your commitment to God and to this church and to me and this city. I want you and I want your whole heart. And if you're out there and you're half-hearted, I want to speak to you. Because God is about a great work. And I don't want you to miss out. Let's stand and pray.